0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're very excited to have you join us today on this Wednesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is uh, you get uh, your podcast. So here we go again, man. How are you today? How's your day been going? I mean, hard to say. Hard to say. <laughs> Hard to say or don't want to say. The, the of, jury's yeah. still out. <laughs> Hopefully the evening is better. There you go. Hey, it came across a story on Religion News that was interesting. This is a national publication, uh, but the story itself uh, is right in our backyard in the village of Orland Park. And the uh, it says this, the Chicago suburb seeks to block church's winter homeless shelters. Let me read the beginning of it. And uh, I think it... it will lead to an interesting conversation. It says, Last month, Hope Covenant Church opened the first homeless shelter in Chicago's affluent suburban village of Orland Park in more than three decades. With temperatures dipping down near the single digits, the seasonal shelter has housed between 15 and 50 people one night every week, hmm. including a toddler and local public high school students. The overnight, uh, the overnight shelter, the result of a partnership with Illinois' Beds Plus community organization, is open every Tuesday until April unless a lawsuit by the village of Orland Park succeeds in closing it down. Last week, village attorneys filed a lawsuit against the church, arguing that the shelter constitutes an ongoing threat to public health and safety. The lawsuit cited 28 health and safety code violations caused by the church using the building, which was intended solely for religious services as an overnight shelter. The church's uh, partner organization Beds plus said we believe we're being unfairly targeted, but we will make all reasonable changes to ensure the continuation of emergency shelter. Everyone deserves a home in a court in court on November 8th village attorneys asked that the shelter be closed until the violations are addressed. A judge declined to grant the village the temporary restraining order uh, and preliminary injunction it sought against the church in order to close the shelter during the proceedings. And now the Hope Covenant Church pastor goes on to say that, hey, this is a big part of our ministry. We've been doing this, and it feels like, so it's kind of a he said, she said. It feels a little bit like, uh, he says, this is a directive of our faith to try and slap us with a restraining order because they believe it's more safe for a two-year-old to sleep outside. Uh, It isn't fair. They think it's a frivolous lawsuit that they're, uh," so the pastor's kind of saying they don't want a homeless shelter in their community. The Mm. community's saying, you've got some code violations, but it does bring up for me uh, more than this. Uh, it's interesting that a town, I mean, Orland parks enormous uh, and has no homeless shelter. It says here, uh, it it does seem like the church is stepping into, to a need here. And uh, uh, so beyond just the story, I think it raises uh, the church's opportunity to help the marginalized and the most, um, uh, the people who are most in need, especially as the wintertime is coming, uh, when really are our, our, some of our political institutions aren't so much doing that. So so why do you pick this story? Because I think as we head to the cold months, as we get going, uh, I think sometimes churches and Christians in general can go, well, the government will take care of that. Well, the government will take care of this. And 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 it can be hard for churches to remember, no, we we can be at the forefront of um of caring for people, uh, because this is interesting. Uh, he said the Orland Park, uh, uh, the village seems to be doing all they can to kind of get in the way of this happening. And again, they, they said it's over code violations. But uh, I think it's a good reminder of uh, of, I think, the role the church can play and I think is called to play in. Uh, as we head towards uh, these these uh, kind of dangerous months, because it is interesting that they're going, nobody else is doing this. This church is trying to step into the gap. Uh, and so for me, I wanted to talk about this because it was a reminder when I read it to me as a pastor going, huh, what can my church do in my town? Uh, and what kind of inconvenience would it cause? Co- it's going to inconvenience this church to have to get up to the lo- <laughs> the code violations and uh, and fight this lawsuit or whatever else. And so- uh, I don't know how you feel as a pastor and in your church of what how you view your role within your community, working with the community or, or doing, stepping in places where you see the community not doing things for the, for the people who are most hurting.
2: Well, that's a tricky question. I've mentioned on the show before, this is an issue that's particularly close to my heart. And a lot of that I have to credit my parents and upbringing and sort of what we were, you know, kind of shown even as kids. But I think that there is something to be said about what is the average person supposed to do with this yep. story, right? Like there are, <laughs> you could make the case, all right, if you, if you want to do this right, then you need to get your building up to code. Um, but the much bigger part of my head and heart says, yeah, okay, so it looks like a lot of it has to do with the height of the handrails, mm-hmm. things like that. Could is that. Is it possible that the height of the handrails is less threatening than sleeping outside in hmm. temperatures like these? Yeah. And that's not what code enforcement officers are paid to do. Uh, so our, I, I do see, uh, I could hear someone making a case for, Hey, the law is the law and, uh, they're, they're not abiding by the standards and codes of our community. Um, but there, there is for me, and this is where it gets really tricky because like, you know, my mother-in-law has started a beautiful ministry uh, called Timothy's ministry. Yep. And one of the churches that had been hosting her previously, you know, they were undergoing a multi million dollar building renovation and essentially told her, we no longer really have space for you and your ministry anymore. And I was like, I wanted to drive over there and say, think about what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. We're putting $12 million in this new building, so we don't have space anymore for your homeless ministry. Just play that back and try yeah. to hear Jesus saying yeah. those words. Go, say it again. Just, say it again. And I'm not opposed <laughs> to buildings and resource yeah. centers. And there's a we have a bunch of friends that are building – Churches that are also like central meeting hubs in their town. Like I'm not, I'm not against any of that. It just for me, sometimes feels like we get a little off track when it comes to things. This is like red letter stuff, right? Like how mm-hmm. how you treat the most vulnerable, the the most in need among you says everything else about your heart, about your posture, about who really is king and lord. And I'm not saying the village has any uh, any obligation to submit to these things. So you know, this is where it gets tricky because you're arguably trying to make a case that people who aren't Jesus followers are just doing their job, Mm -hmm. you know. But I don't know, I maybe I'm naive. I still have this like innate desire, this hope to believe that people can just step back and say, hey, I know that like I'm a I'm a pencil pusher and I'm holding the clipboard here, but Bigger picture. Bigger picture. And maybe we work on the railing in the spring. You know, (laughs) is that possible? But right now you're giving people really really necessary urgent care and uh we want to we want to support you in that it's interesting a couple different
0: things came out of this article that made me go okay that's interesting the mayor of orland park said i know it's a nationwide problem and a metro chicago problem but there's not a homeless problem in orland park that i know of i only know of one homeless individual who is often seen in orland park and i personally have not observed the problem here uh but the orland township supervisor disagreed with the mayor Uh, And went on to say, for example, if the church were hosting a Boy Scout troop overnight, I don't think the village would behave in the same manner. So it seems to be this kind of we don't I'm going to read into some motive here, which might be unfair. There seems to be a little bit of if we have a homeless shelter, it might attract more homeless. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I think that that is also at play here. But for me, it's a reminder as a pastor to go, Okay, sometimes we could just assume Oh, the city's taking care of the homeless or the city's taking care of the poor or the city's taking yeah. care
2: and in some cities they're doing I they absolutely
0: job. are including probably Orland Park in some ways yeah. but but I don't think that that's enough for us as churches and as Christ followers to go ah let them deal with it mm-hmm. and uh but we could be looking for ways and like you said as individuals it could be really hard to go what can I do um but but I think it behooves us to to
2: ask ourselves that question what yeah. can I do and I, I don't know if you remember this a couple of years ago uh, I forget where it was at but one city was like literally installing spikes on their public park benches oh, no. to prevent homeless from like laying on them, like for the, real. Yeah, oh yeah, oh for the gosh. for the same reason that you're um, presuming might be at at the core of this story. It's like, yeah. oh gosh, if we if we let one, then they're all gonna. And I to me, I, it really it does. I'm speaking calmly, very intentionally right now, <laughs> yes, but it, you are. it really does kind of boil my blood. I think when we get priorities that far to whack and i get that these things cost money and they yep. require legislation and blah, blah 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 i just think we can do better yep and as
0: christ followers i think the call is give it some thought care see see if there's anything that we can be doing well coming up next we're going to talk about an article out of the gospel coalition that's titled this jesus transforms just kind that's next year on the common good am 1160 hope for your life welcome back to the common good am 1160 hope for your life alongside ian simpkins my name is brian from glad to have you joining us on this wednesday after oh it's wednesday i haven't yelled hump day yet <laughs> we made I it do. one segment i'm a friday guy and a wednesday guy are Hump you? Day. <laughs> come on i'm gonna i'm gonna win you over on one of these days what these even ones.
2: win me over to what so if, if wednesday and friday are my day which is uh which is good what, what are we giving you which is your day I live in the New Covenant Brian so all days are sacred and charged with the grandeur of God. <laughs> I but love I love them all equally. Is one day more grandeur? More the the most grandeur. No, nah, I mean, I don't think so. Okay. I kind of like Thursday cuz, you know. Why not? Thursday's date night. Oh, well, Thursday's date night. Mm-hmm. Okay. Every Thursday? Well, don't put me on the spot there. It's, it's, it's supposed your, to be. Your wife's so sorry. I go. Mm. Uh, right. Right. In theory. What about is, this? Right. You right. know, it is with two little ones. Sometimes day and night just looks like like pizza and this is us. You're like, OK, that, that's true. Right. That's true. I do love a good oven pizza. Well, at the Gospel
0: Coalition, uh, they were kind of uh, taught, uh, an article by Justin Poithrus uh entitled How Jesus Transforms Just Be Kind. And it says, Just Be Kind. It's more than a phrase. It's become a movement. The slogan began with some kids in central Indiana selling signs, T-shirts, and keychains. And now its influence is spreading throughout the world. The basic principle, uh, the principle is basic. I'm sorry. and its I'm like, there should be more to that sentence than the basic principle. I'm not ready for a comma yet. (laughs) The principle is basic. And its supporters insist the maxim would benefit us. Uh, All The supporting phrase is just as pithy, it's easy. So it says, just be kind, it's easy. In other words, maybe the problems, the stress, the conflict, and the pain in our world actually aren't an irreducibly complex tangle of divergent opinions, identities, and values. Maybe the solution is easier and closer uh, than you think. We'll pause there. What do you think about that just saying?
2: Just be kind, it's easy. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I don't love the word just. Hardly ever. Okay. Anyway, so that's not a not a full grinds my gears, but so <laughs> often there. right, and it, and it gets used in so many different ways. When people are like, oh, just uh, put in a bathroom here. And you're like, okay, in my head, I'm like, yeah, eighteen thousand dollars later. <laughs> so we we apply just to all sort. Of, oh, yep. just uh, just throw this together. Just why don't you? Yeah, I like. I learned this in college when I was, you know, I was homeschooled through high school, so I had this math teacher that used to always say just. Right before the most complicated <laughs> equation, He's like ah, so you just blah 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 blah. I was like, you say just like that's common sense, but I don't understand what's happening here. I, I just can't do that. Yeah, right, right. So for me, and I, it makes me think of the uh, a Samuel Johnson quote that I've used before, where he says, "Kindness is in our power, even when fondness is not." Mm. This idea that like we can be kind, even if, even if you like your gut don't really like that person or don't care for what they stand for, but I think. And we'll get into this a little more. The whole premise of the article is that when we put the word just right before something yep. as powerful but also as difficult as kindness, it kind of reduces it and it makes it feel more achievable than it sometimes is. And I yeah. think that is that is part of the problem the author has here.
0: Yeah. It, you can see how – I like the way you put it because the just be kind makes it – implies that kindness is really simple to do. Right. Why like, Why can't you just oh, do this? I, right. And then to add on it's easy is kind right, of like, – okay. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, but you write the article goes on to say the word just implies that we could scrap the hard work of nuance and context, which are always necessary to apply kindness to sentencing a criminal or giving someone a failing grade. Uh, the word implies we can bypass the need for elaborate constructions of religion, and morality, because deep down we all intuitively know what being kind uh, hmm. looks like. Uh, If that's the case, he writes, though, we have a massive self-deception obstacle to overcome. Look at our two political parties in America. They differ strongly on virtually (laughs) (laughs) – I choose to look away (laughs) – on virtually every policy. Yet you could get every representative to swear up and down that all they do is in the service of, quote, being kind. Mm. So maybe we need more clarity than, quote, just be kind. Maybe the application of just be kind, even theoretically, is where the hard work comes in. So he goes on to say – uh, so we need a compelling motive, which Jesus supplies in at least four ways. I love an article that just gives you for this or for that. I know you it, do. Because we're pastors. So much. <laughs> you love it so much. So why don't you jump in here? When he talks about, he tries to get to the nuance of just to be kind in light of Jesus and the gospel.
2: So why don't we talk this through? All right. Number one, Jesus offers a stronger just. Jesus gives us the same underlying principle, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. The difference is he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't brush off his hands and say, and there you have it. What are you waiting for? Go and do it. It's easy. No, he follows up the command with his own just, one that draws our hope toward him. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus shows his foundational love and kindness on the cross, which is both the motivation and also the power Mm. for us to be kind. That's pretty good.
0: That's good. Number two, Jesus helps you be kind, even when it doesn't look like kindness to others. Being kind comes a lot easier when it looks obvious or fits the right mold. For example, when you, put in, uh, when you put it on your college application or you work for a company that uh, demarcates a token percentage of their profits to fight animal abuse. But Jesus' kindness towards us took the form of confronting sin, then bearing mockery, rejection, and death. Kindness in his name should never be a self-righteous cover for shaming and finger-pointing. Still, when we practice kindness before an audience of one, it will matter less how others perceive it. That's a good one.
2: Yeah, this is actually the one that makes me the most nervous. Okay. This is the number one that two. I, the number one I two. just read. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because when I, when I started to read it, I'm like, uh Oh, it's because it's the one that I think is most often used as a justification for like, Hey, I know it looks like I'm being a jerk right now, but I perform before an audience of one. Yes. And the kindest yes. thing I can do is to tell you the thing that you're doing is awful. It just is the one that I feel like is most often used as a justification for being for a, a mean person. Yep, yeah. yep. Number three, Jesus enables you to be kind when it doesn't help. Huh. Mm. When, <laughs> yeah, we should have read this beforehand. <laughs> Jesus is your yeah, why. I like, I like our, our regular reactions. Just, oh, huh, well. <laughs> Jesus is your why for being kind. You can continue to be gracious to your neighbor, even when you've asked them to clean up after their dog and they're still not doing it. Kindness based on Christ comes without an agenda. I'm going to say that one more time, because I think that's the that's the line that most preachers so far. Kindness based on Christ comes without an agenda. Yes. After all, he loved and pursued us while we were still sinners. That's Roman 5.8. We can be kind to others without insisting they do something for us because Jesus has already done it all.
0: Nice. Number four, Jesus helps you be kind to those who are, quote, what's wrong with the world. We all have that group about whom we think they're what's wrong with this world. They're the problem. How do you muster the strength to just be kind to them? gazing at the grace of Christ that alone changes how we look at quote those people for it changes what we see as the chief problem uh that goes back to our two po- uh, our political parties right there right mm-hmm. like what's wrong with our world oh it's them uh and and Jesus never spoke in terms of us against them and I think uh, the author makes a good point that when we see Jesus's kindness to us yeah uh it it allows us or or it, it, it Uh, spurs us to be kind
2: in the same way to others. I like how he says it, though. He says the ultimate solution to sin is not getting the right people in charge who will finally legislate right values, nor is the solution Mm. getting everyone enough education, although both those things are really, really important. Yes, The solution is the internal transformation Christ brings about through his spirit. So the best thing we can do is to show, quote, those people the (laughs) kindness we got but didn't deserve from Jesus, remembering even— uh, elsewhere three says it's your loving kindness that yeah. leads us to repentance like yeah. what a what an important remote- you
0: posted something like this on facebook yesterday yeah now, i was I kind of
2: inspired it. listening back to our jim daly interview yeah. where it was like uh man those christians were so mean and <laughs> belittling to me i decided to become one of them i've never heard anyone say anything even funny. close to that, uh, that but he says that i think this is a good way to end it being kind doesn't just come naturally that's why we're in this fallen mess a lot of times you and i Don't want to be kind. That'll preach. That's why we need a solution that starts with God's undeserved kindness for us in Jesus and then continues in his changing our hearts to want to be more like him. Like that to me gives some breathing room for the times that Mm -hmm. we're singing worship music and then someone cuts us off in traffic and then just a (laughs) string of profanity leaves our mouth. You're like, oh, that was not. Where did that go? I was literally just singing a chorus about how great your love is. And now I'm like calling down curses on this, (laughs) you know. This Honda in front of me, you yeah, So there's like a, there's a grace there, but I think, particularly in the social media age, the call yep. for kindness, I think needs to be more in the. I feel like we focus so much more on being right that I think we often lose the kindness. Piece. That's a great point.
0: That's a great point. Love to hear what you have to say. You'll see this article on our Facebook page. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the concept of lament and the importance it plays in our lives. That's next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simkins. my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, Twitter, at Common Good Talk, online, 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, We are grateful for those of you who have already done that. Go ahead and tell somebody about the show. Go, hey, why don't you go give this a listen?
2: (laughs) See how it works for you. So, don't, don't be that creepy. Don't take Brian's hey, guidance. Go do that. <laughs> just picture someone like down an alley. Be like, hey, 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 want to hear a podcast? Hey, They're let's like,
0: meet at Starbucks. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> let's we'll, meet at
2: Star. See we'll, at Panera. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll share some headphones. We'll listen to the We'll Share <laughs> some headphones. These are all good examples of things not to do. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, we
0: we are grateful for those of you who listen on a regular basis. We're at the Lyft conference the other day, it was fun to meet some of you. And uh, what do we yeah. get
2: called? Oh, the laughing pastors.
0: Yes, uh, one of our <laughs> one of our listeners called us the laughing pastors, and we said that's going to stick. Uh, we enjoy that. So, uh, Christ- def- I've definitely been called worse. <laughs> probably, I'll take and it. I will be before noon today. I'm sure. <laughs> at Christianity Today at Christianity.com, uh, an article came out that has your favorite word in it: neuroscience. And uh, I do love that word. And it says this: Scripture and neuroscience agree. It helps to lament in community. KJ Ramsey writes this article. It says, Though song, liturgy, through song, liturgy, and communion, the body of Christ inhabits the suffering experienced by its weakest
2: members. Well, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what's going on here? Well, I'll tell you why, Brian, because yep. I don't want to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I'm just. I want to read this whole thing. Yes, please. I'm going to start reading. This one is so up your alley. Yeah, but you have to flat. You stop me when it's too much because the article it's long and I yep. shouldn't read all of it. But I want to because it's it's really good. It is on our Facebook page. I already mentioned that. I highly encourage you to go read it. We've had Aubrey Sampson and other people in the past talk about the significance of lament, particularly yes. in the context of community. We talked even yesterday or Monday about the idea of confession and lament in our worship Mm -hmm. services I think that was another Gospel Coalition article that's That's right that's right it's been on my mind a lot lately but uh, it opens and says recently I awoke suddenly around 1.45 a.m. in a tangle of sheets pillows and sweat my body fitfully grasping for peace in the presence of pain I had just made a medication shift the day before and after over a decade of living with what is how do you say that ackeleucine spondylitis so it's not a word that I should know how to say (laughs) okay good (laughs) But whatever that is, I knew my joints were demanding attention and deserving of care. When one part of the body is inflamed, the body needs pathways to register and sense pain in order to facilitate healing. As I rub my swollen, aching hands against each other to quell their raging fire, I remembered Philip Yancey's words from a recent interview. He said, a healthy body is not one that feels no pain. A healthy body is one that attends to the pain of its weakest part. That's so good. good. And I already see what they're doing here with this. (laughs) All too often in our bodies and in the body of Christ, we'd rather pretend health is the absence of pain rather than the willing care of it. And Mm. if Yancey is right, when we order our lives and our worship services around overcoming pain rather than attending to it, we block the pathways that mediate our healing. When the church does not make space for lament, the church is not whole. Mm. Can I just keep reading? Yeah, keep going. Last month, a reader on Instagram sent me a long message detailing how her family's pain felt unwelcome in her church. Her daughter had just been hospitalized due to a persistent, intense suicidal thought, and uh, and that Sunday, the sermon was about conquering anxiety with truth. While the pastor enthusiastically bubbled over the victory we can have in Christ, she deflated in the defeat of not hearing the complexity of her daughter's pain acknowledged. Mm. This is a quote. Uh, there was no mention that sometimes depression is clinical. The only answer she offered was to pray more. Mm. Uh, my Reader was, exposed, was exposing a common experience in the Western church, a diminishment of our personhood into what philosopher James K.A. Smith has described as an isolated, disembodied island of beliefs. We know the gospel is powerful, but we mistakenly place its power in our individual effort to fill the abyss of our discouragement, doubt, and pain. You are more than a walking head, and the body of Christ is more than a vague association mm. of people praising God. I could keep reading. I'm just going to yes. stop there, kind of get your reactions, and then maybe I'll read a little more.
0: I have a couple of reactions. One is, like, you just want to yell amen. Like, yes, yeah, like, really this good. is true. Uh, the next line of the next paragraph just begins, God made our brains to need others. Uh-huh. And so, uh, I, but it does raise this question for me. Um, you and I both grew up around the church, in the church. Uh, I don't even know how to ask this except to say the whole concept of lament seems to be making a resurgence in the church and in our culture now, our yeah. church cultures. Why do you think that is? Like, this was never an article that I would have expected to read 20 years ago. Really? 10 years ago.
2: I think a lot of Am that has to do with your particular you think, streams, though. I, I you think, think so? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I think, that, I think you're right. I think it's making a resurgence in more, like, mainstream, evangelical. mainline evangelical yeah. waters. But I think we have brothers and sisters across the planet Good who point. have been practicing this deeply and profoundly for centuries. I think you and I, like in the West— in sort of you know non denominational world, yeah. I think we're seeing a resurgence. That's a great point. I think there are there are probably far more people than we realize. who are like, yeah, duh, we've been saying this <laughs> for <laughs> a long, long time. So what you're saying is the whole world is not like me <laughs> in my world, <laughs> right? Well, and not I mean we and we bring up Anglicanism a lot. You know, I think a lot of these liturgical high church spaces have historically done a much better job of creating space mm-hmm. for expressions like this. And I think uh, I think it's I think it's really important that I it's actually too. seeing. Uh, a wider reach as of late. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. You yeah. want me to keep on reading? Or? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so you read that God made our brains to need others. In recent decades, attachment researchers and clinicians like neurophysicists, oh boy, that's neuropsychiatrist, right? Yeah, Daniel Siegel. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> I made that harder on myself than it needed to be. And psychologist Luis Casolino have been uh, elucidating truth about our personhood grounded in how our brains and bodies develop and function. We are embodied relational beings whose flourishing... Uh, from first to final breath requires interdependence. As Siegel explains, the brain is a social organ and our relationships with one another are not a luxury but an essential nutrient for our survival. Mm. So this is not just an article about lament but our need for lament in community. And when we use the word community, this is the other tricky part about a lot of our Western expressions. We say community and what we often mean is like a a once-a-week gathering. That's not even just a church thing, right? Like we – this is part of my – this is my bowling community. This is my needle stitch mm-hmm. community. What we really mean is, I see them for about an hour once a week, yep. which isn't bad at all. Yep. But I think biblical community, uh, particularly in the first century, looked way different. Mm-hmm. And so I sometimes think we're like, oh yeah, I went, I drove to this lament event, and you're like, that's a good start yes i think part of what this author is explaining is a lot a lot more i'd love to know what you think about this statement though the brain is a social organ and its need for like an interdependence not just as like an icing on the cake but essential to survival yeah i think it's so true when we when we isolate ourselves
0: so many problems begin to manifest themselves but that's the hard part when you're in a stage of life or when you're in a situation that, that really requires a lot of lament where life is at its hardest uh, it's often those times where we run away from community when that those times where we most need it. And so uh, and you're right, you know, right out here in the suburbs with uh, our busy lives and everything we have going on and the way we uh, seclude ourselves. Uh, community can be very difficult, difficult, and it does become a thing, like you said, where it's once a week we're together and that's my community. And, right. then, you know, we have a part of lament in our service. Like you said, all of which are great, uh, but there's a deeper community, I think, that's being talked about here.
2: Okay, so I I wish we had like just 20 more minutes, but here are sort of the headings for the rest of the article to kind of whet your appetite to go read it yourself. It says, uh, Lament belongs in song. Lament belongs in liturgy. Lament belongs in the Lord's Supper. And Lament is for Us All, which says, including lament in weekly services, is about the entire body being whole, not just our individual experience being better. Worship both reflects and reinforces the story in which we place our hope, and how we worship will guide our whole selves to participate in either a story of self-sufficiency— Or the gospel story of interdependence. When we orient Mm -hmm. our services primarily around praise and the individual internalization of truth, we disciple saints to expect lives where individual efforts produce blessings. And when effort is not enough, faith flounders under the weight of our anger and our fear. Scripture paints a far more textured picture of blessing where mourning, hunger, and weakness are the backdrop of displaying Christ's presence, power, and love. I need this person on the show. Uh, let's <laughs> do it. Oh my goodness yeah. gracious! This is so good. This is so good. As we make space for lament
0: in our churches, he concludes, we will all more tangibly taste and see how weakness can be the place of Christ's power, where Christ's power is perfected. It is in each other at Christianity Today. A really powerful article. We would encourage you to read it. Well, you are listening to the Common Good. AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Not yet, but we're hoping soon at laughingpastors.com, <laughs> or did we decide the laughing pastors? We, we thought it could just be a fun loop of literally just us laughing. <laughs>
2: I would love for it just to be that laugh, just you by yourself. Were we talking
0: on air the other day or off air when I said sometimes I hear myself laugh when I listen back to our show, and I'm like, "That's
2: how I laugh." <laughs> I, think, I think it was on air. I don't know. I never know anymore. But it's it's interesting though because you've been speaking for a long time professionally, and oh, this is what this was the interesting conversation because you probably don't laugh. In the pulpit like you do on the show. That is true. That would almost be weird, right? Yep. If you're yep. giving kind of a monologue and yep. you're just like – Because I'm laughing <laughs> in, in response to you right, or right, something right. Or about a story or an article. Yeah. but. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then I was telling you that I listened back to your sermon, and you didn't believe me. (laughs) I believed you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I listen to yours on a weekly basis. Yeah, I'm sure no one needs that. (laughs)
0: That's right. Well, speaking of being pastors, we try not to make this show too pastor-centric, as we are two pastors. But uh, every now and then, we like to pull back the curtain and go, hey, here's some things that most pastors like us struggle with, or we love about our jobs, or that you might not understand about. Uh, being a pastor, and and I really resonated with a story that came out on Christianity Today by Mandy Smith, who we've had on the show before. Uh, Mandy Smith wrote an article that's just titled this, Where Can a Pastor Find Church? Can those who lead congregations receive ministry from them as well? So before even diving diving into what she says, you and I were talking off air like, oh my gosh, this is a big one. Yeah. Uh, How would you answer her question?
2: Oh, gosh. It's I know nuanced, it's not a yes or no? Yeah. Right. It isn't yes or no. How do you wrestle with it? Not, we're not answering questions. Talk yeah, to great. me about the wrestle for you. For yeah, I, I think there is a lot of factors. Uh, church size, like it or not, is part of it. Mm-hmm. Not just simply because of you know the obvious size of the congregation, but because of the span of care, because of the kinds of like I remember even at Poplar, we had a, uh, an office administrator who was just the best. Mm-hmm. But she would she would sometimes share that she had to intentionally come a little late. Uh, just because if she got there early, everyone would be asking her uh, to. interesting. Can you make copies? What's the Wi Fi pass? Like little yeah, things. Yeah. Like, but they all add up though, and I'm, it's hard for me to just be present. Yep. I think pastors sometimes feel similarly, although we're not often the ones that know the passcode to the Wi Fi or how to. Yes. You know, so it's not, like, it's not like little nuts and bolts stuff like that, but I think there is, especially on Sunday morning, there can be. Like, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but you're in a little bit of a different headspace sometimes. Yeah. I've had to really, really intentionally – like for me, I spend the first half hour or so, 20 minutes walking through the auditorium as people are arriving, just like hanging out with people. Yep. Um. But you have to really make sure that everything else is like ready to go. Yes. Otherwise, like I'm just going to be obsessing about it in the back of my yep. head. And yep. so that requires some intention, some forethought. But I think uh, – I don't know. Uh, One, I think Mandy is brilliant, so I I think she makes just a ton of great points in this article. I think that there is an old adage that just makes a black-and-white statement that, like, you can't actually worship the place you pastor because you need this great – chasm and distance because you're the leader yeah i don't buy that no i, I, don't do I, that. I think that's unhealthy <laughs> i wouldn't be a pastor if i believe that
0: like, yeah, I yeah right right i've had this conversation but the longer you are a pastor the more you realize that kind of that pollyanna thing you start with uh-huh. of like these are going to all be my best friends and we're just <laughs> right, going to do right. life together that they're that people treat you differently uh because of your title like listen to this paragraph she writes i think this is sums it up so well she said given our desire to see people brought together and cared for It's a strange and sad reality that often pastors, the ones who love and lead the church, find ourselves without a church, at least not in the same way others have a church. In a cruel twist of irony, the church we lead isn't really church for us. Some of the biggest challenges we face may come from the very congregation we lead. Maybe someone who reminds you of your estranged father rejects you just like he did, or you endure a sleepless night after receiving petty criticism from Mm. a parishioner. That's never happened. (laughs) Who will be church for us when we have to talk to someone about the pain or the loneliness of leading a church? Like I, yeah. I. hopefully we're not opening ourselves up too much here to just say that is a hundred percent correct. Yeah. And I would also caveat it with this. Uh, I'm not going to speak for my wife or your wife, but I think this is often for the pastor's wife equally as much yeah. for the pastor. Yeah. The pastor's spouse. Spouse. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Sorry. I was thinking of <laughs> you and I. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it had to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard? People out there might be like, well, "What's the deal? You're in the service. You, you know, you sing the same songs with us. You're up there. You get to preach, but we're all just a big family. You always talk about how we're family, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, how would you help people understand this who might not have ever kind of played that role?
2: Well, rather than answer it, I'm just going to read more of her brilliant words she because
0: right. she says it so much better than right. I could. She Go says it.
2: it's a fine line to walk to know we're responsible for tending the garden yet to admit we need nourishment from what grows there. That's such really a good, good. That's such a good line. How can we acknowledge our need for church while also leading a church? We can't just let what feels right determine our engagement, since that will likely grow from our personality and family of origin. More extroverted pastors may have a tendency to overshare and become connected in a way that is not healthy for the congregation. Introverted pastors may keep to themselves in a way that feels selfless, but actually keeps people at arm's length. As a peacemaker and people pleaser, I love connection with folks and have a tendency to be everyone's best friend in a way that is not always helpful for them or for me. And simultaneously, as an introvert, I tend to process privately and keep my needs to myself in a misdirected effort at selflessness, which actually makes people feel uh, I'm trying to be self-sufficient. How do we engage with our congregations in a way that is healthy for them and for us for the sake of the kingdom? So that's a million-dollar question, and I think pastors need to do better at asking, hey, what's healthy for both parties here? Yeah. Now, the problem is, especially in Chicagoland, we're hearing more and more stories of you know, pastors that maybe weren't thinking about their congregation yeah. you know, in a selfless, shepherding way that they needed to be doing, but I also know plenty of pastors who have a bit of a martyr complex, right? So they're never even assessing what's healthy for them and their family because they've given their lives to the church yeah. and are perpetuating all sorts of really unhealthy behaviors. Agreed. And because it's garnering the praise and applause of people, especially if you're an Enneagram three, or you're an extrovert, or you're a people pleaser, or you're a words of affirmation person, that can become a well that you just instinctually and eventually yeah. almost addictively keep going back that's to, and that's not yeah. healthy either. Yeah. It, I think if you're if you're kind of
0: confused by this article, I think of it, if, if you're a churchgoer, uh, think about your small group if you have them. Think about your small mm. group, and if your pastor was a part of your small group, how would that change the dynamics? What would what would their role be? That's in a good that? question. It often feels weird, like you want to be a part, uh, and it often uh, feels uh, weird. Do you think the answer is that a pastor should go find another church, like no. not to work but to attend? Or that feels like really drastic? Uh,
2: I don't think it's drastic. I think that could be. That fills a very specific mm-hmm. need. Like if it's just the experience of, hey, I, I would love to just be able to sing with the community of people mm. um, unencumbered, I think that's fine. But part of what she's saying here is that the the whole point of like communal life together, it's deeper than just simply a Sunday morning experience like you're bringing yes. up yes. with the small group. But I, I think – it's hard to not see this as a totally consumeristic exchange, right? Like, oh, I need the church because they give me X, or it makes me feel Y, or yeah. whatever. So there, there certainly is a, a piece that I think, like for me, I have to very, very intentionally um, make sure that I'm being appropriately vulnerable in one-on-one interactions, yeah. and yeah. not, you know, that can teeter on self-flagellation or self-deprecation, which isn't always helpful. But it's amazing how many times, if you share a little bit of like, like honest vulnerability, people are like, "Wow, I did not know that." Yes. And th- and that would maybe not be appropriate in a sermon, yes. But certainly when you're when you're meeting with people, you know, you don't have to be. And a lot of this comes down to personality, but you don't have to be this like stoic yes. statue, never let them see a sweat kind of leader. And in fact, I th- I find that it, it actually endears you to one another a little yeah. bit when you can kind of share some of that burden. But it hasn't always. Been. I literally had a, a family years ago at uh, the church I was pastoring sit me down and say, um, "We're leaving because we find you to be just a little too vulnerable." Really? And the wife said, uh, how can you effectively lead us if you yourself are still wrestling? And I was heartbroken. I was devastated. I appreciated the honesty, but I remember in that moment feel like I could feel the temptation to reinforce, see this is why pastors can't be vulnerable with their church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and again, maybe I did overshare. I mean she might have had something Possibly. to say there, but I, I will I'll never forget that conversation because I remember that being a real turning point wow. and like trying to think that through yeah yeah thanks for sharing that if you're a member of a church you go to a church you're pastored this is a complex
0: issue that we i think is a big deal so read the article uh and maybe yeah. have a conversation with your pastor uh and just have this conversation and, and see where it goes we're glad you're joining us today you're listening to the common good am 1160 hope you are Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, glad to have you joining us on this home day, <laughs> Wednesday afternoon. Oh my Even when I say it like that, you, you, now you're enjoying Wednesdays more and more. Are you just trying to I talk am, that into existence? Yes, I am. Okay. The more that I speak it, the more they speak it. Can I tell you what I'm really excited about tonight? Absolutely. Tonight at our church, we're having just – this actually goes to the last thing we talked about. Yeah. With, uh, can you be a pastor and, and like a part of your church, basically? Uh, we have a just a literally a night where we're just getting together for an hour to sing and pray. Love it. And we did that like a month ago. Yeah. And like totally like not much, you know, around it, like not much programming. I loved it. And now I'm like, let's do that again.
2: It's <laughs> so for you, man. You're the tonight, pastor. You can do that. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: So tonight we're doing that at uh at six thirty. So I'm very excited about it. I'll run from here uh and get down there. So uh very excited for that. Hopefully uh it'll be wonderful. So anyway. Something that was really cool that I've gotten to do through the radio station is that I had the opportunity to see uh, the new movie coming out called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, starring Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. And uh, this movie it depicts a friendship between Fred Rogers and uh, a guy who worked for Esquire magazine uh, by the name of Tom Junod. And uh, it is an awesome story, and I want to encourage you to go see it. It opens on November the 22nd. Uh, my family and I are hopefully going to go see it over the Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Ian is going to be there opening night, I think, dressed in a in a cardigan or whatever.
2: I like mean, you Mr. say dressed in a cardigan like it's not what I'm always wearing anyway. <laughs> it would be He's funny. He's dressed as he always is. It is funny. Like, people go to Star Wars movies on opening night all dressed up. <laughs> this is just a lot of people dressed like Mr. Roger.
0: called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, all about Mr. Rogers, and with that in mind, uh, at Christianheadlines.com dot com, there was just this a uh, uh, there was a um, interview with Joanne Rogers. Joanne Rogers uh, was is uh, was married to uh, to Fred Rogers before Fred Rogers passed away. And uh, she is 91 and a half years old. I love when you're 91 and you add the half, like you <laughs> add the hook there. Uh, but it says, Mr. Uh, Joanne Rogers remains a devoted advocate for the legacy of her late husband, the iconic star of Mr. Rogers. Uh, Fred Rogers widow shared church going traditions and a love of music, uh, which is often seen in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, she continues to attend Pittsburgh 6th Avenue Presbyterian Church, the congregation where she worshipped with her husband, who was ordained by the Presbyterian Church in 1963, and he died in 2003. So she talks about how important the church was. And before getting into this interview with her, because she says some just sweet stuff at the age of 91, looking hmm. back, uh, well, you and I have talked about this before, but let me just ask you again. <laughs> does it surprise you? that there is like this resurgent love for Mr. Rogers, like culturally right now, there's a documentary, there's this movie he's almost gotten like Saint status. Uh, what is it about now that, that he's making this resurgence? Do you think
2: it doesn't surprise me at all because I think he's the epitome of kindness. And we were yeah. just talking earlier on the show about how we can sometimes reduce kindness to just simply being nice, which is not really what kindness is, mm-hmm. but uh, and as we've seen in documentaries, and the more that we read and learn about Fred Rogers, the more you realize, oh, he wasn't just a guy that had a TV show for kids. Mm-hmm. Like he, there really was like a deep, guttural love for people. You know, I think motivated by his faith, yeah. and I think because we're we seem to be, and maybe people have been saying this for decades, but we seem like we're in this. What was the phrase we used earlier this week? Hyper partisan. Like yes. it seems like all all the the polemic. Ways of seeing the other mm. is leading us to a increasingly divided, sometimes like angry, malicious type of culture. And I think someone like Rogers, who still stood for stuff, still had convictions, yes. still – I mean, he he uh, he was integral in a, a number of legislations throughout, the, throughout his career. But there's, I think, something really, really um, innate in all of us that sees mm-hmm. kindness, kindness with purpose, kindness – yeah, with integrity and says, yeah, we need more of that in the world. And, I, and that's not to say we didn't feel that way 20 years ago. Yep. I just feel like, I feel like because things have gotten so out of hand that he just all the more seems like a beacon of light right he now. He really does. I wonder if Mr. Rogers would have been on Twitter. <laughs> Golly, I would have followed him.
0: Uh, yeah, so it's just
2: a different smiley emoji every
0: yeah, day. It's... Every day it's a <laughs> emoji. So she was asked in this interview, it says, you've said that your husband used to say the space between television and the person watching it was holy ground. Did you see his show as a form of ministry? And she says, absolutely, that's a yes. It was what he was ordained to do. That was the command from the ordination to be ordained as an evangelist hmm. and continue his work in television and the media with families and children. And then the, uh, the interviewer goes on to ask, but he never mentioned his faith explicitly that I'm aware of on the show. If so, why not? And she answered, he wanted to be inclusive, and there are many, many people you would exclude if you start mentioning one God, one faith. That was the reason for it. I think that he acted his faith always as much as he possibly could. He worked very hard at doing that. He worked very hard at being the person that he was, and he could act his values and his faith. Take Hmm. those two answers about that and kind of giving a picture of the person of Mr. Rogers Hmm. about he saw that as holy ground, kind of his workplace and the distance between – uh, the the viewer and him. And then uh, his uh, reluctance isn't the right word, but he made a decision, his his decision to not talk about his faith on the show, but more live that out. There's some,
2: there's some things for us to learn there. Yeah, weren't we talking a little earlier? What was the quote about, oh, it was the meme that I shared about the guy. It was Coffee with Jesus. Yes. And he was like, hey, should I put a, a cross on my business card? And Jesus was like, why would you do that? Gary or whatever the character's name yeah. was. He goes, so people know I'm a Christian. And he said, let's see if they <laughs> can figure that out by your work ethic and by the quality of your product or whatever that is. Like, yep. I think that there's some of that here in this answer about Fred, Fred Rogers was interested in helping people experience like deep and abiding love, but also I had enough of an evangelist's heart, I think to know, you know, maybe what is or isn't a helpful place to be, Explicit about his faith, which I imagine people listening would maybe disagree. Maybe there's someone listening thinking, oh, I really missed out on an yeah. opportunity on a platform to yeah. be very explicit about Jesus specifically." Um, but I, I don't know. I, do, I really do like the call to see our work as holy ground. I remember I I couldn't think of it yesterday. The day before, it was a podcast I was talking about, and I think it was I think it was on NPR or something. And they were talking about how uh, work was a result of the fall. And I wanted to, like, yell at my radio. I was like, work was not a result of the mm. fall. It was, like, deeply sacred yeah. prior to the fall. Yeah. And that's what we call the cultural mandate. And I think for Fred Rogers to see his workplace as holy ground a good point. is something that I, I think all of us could stand to, to wrestle with a little more intently. It was an interesting part
0: in the movie. And now she gets asked about it in the interview because she says, yeah, this actually happens. He used to get up at 515 every morning and pray in his room. There's this part where you just see hmm. him kneeling by his bed. Hmm. And when you're watching a movie, you're like, did that really happen? Or is that kind of building the character? Right, here? right. And she says that he had a legal pad on it with all the names on it that he wanted to remember. And he just prayed for these people by name. I found that part of the movie uh, uh, so powerful because, you know, he was a public figure Yet what really drove him was what he did in private. She talks about how he was consistent like this is how he was at mm-hmm. home. And another interesting thing, too, is that he had a his son. One of his sons didn't want to be known as Mr. Rogers kid. Mm. Like he wouldn't let people know. And he actually had kind of a weird relationship with his son in the movie. Um Talk about how what we do in private, though, and who we are consistently really shows out like it really kind of comes
2: out in our life that becomes very clear in the movie about him. I just thought of this. I think it's D.L. Moody. And he said something like "Ah, someone who prays consistently in private feels no need for long winded prayers in public. Or something like that. Yeah. Maybe maybe says it in reverse. Someone with long winded prayers in public likely has an atrophied prayer life in private. So, something like that. I was always really convicted by that idea because it is something. And you know, he had a massive platform, and I yeah. think that there, you and I are pastors. There, there can be this expectation. I'm sure. I mean, how many family meals have you been asked to be the prayer? Oh, you know, you're the professional Christian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right, it's a running right, joke. But I, I love learning about someone who like to me that's part of what makes his kindness mm. so valid is that it wasn't an act yes it wasn't uh it wasn't some character that he put on but then you learn like oh yeah he was horrifically abusive at home but man yes. he sure had everyone at work duped like yeah. the person to really make a character well and i think that's one of the scott sauls lists that we read in the last couple of months where he said um he was asking pastor specifically i think how would your wife and kids describe your character mm-hmm. or something like that yep. that's the real acid test you know a lot of us If you're a professional communicator, you can depict yourself however you want, but ask the people that really see you at 5.15 in the morning, how are they actually when no one else is looking, when no one else is recording, when no one else is observing – That, I mean, I think is the essence of integrity. And I it does warm my heart to know that, oh, he was a person that really helped us out. I mean, this many years later,
0: his wife is going, nope, that's who he was. That's who he was. I mean, that's really impressive. So I'd encourage you to go see the movie, November 22nd. It opens in theaters, a beautiful day in the neighborhood about uh, Fred Rogers and his relationship with a journalist by the name of Tom Janad. Uh, I couldn't encourage you enough to go see it. Well, you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined, as always, by Ian Simpkins. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We're heading into the holiday season, Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving's kind of been trumped, apparently, by Christmas already. And... (laughs) This guttural, ugh. Uh, people. <laughs> Just stop it. This is why we can't have nice things. It's like, uh, I was thinking the other day, because a lot of us were complaining about Christmas starting already, but like they would only do it because people are into it, right? Like, radio stations don't switch over to Christmas music this early without knowing people will listen to it.
2: Yeah, but that's such a lazy, if people, like, oh, people want it. What's the, what's the Henry Ford quote? If I asked people, if I'd given people what they asked for, they would have asked for a faster horse. A faster horse. <laughs> this, this, is, this is our automobile of... Great. holiday philosophies. You and I always talk about hills to die on. I
0: feel like this is a hill to <laughs> die on. We need to go with this one. It's a weird hill to die on. It's a hill to die on. By the way, I know you were homeschooled, but when you were in school in Detroit, was yep. like like whole classes on Henry Ford? Like was it like was he like a big part of your curriculum?
2: Well, I don't I can't remember. But there was a, <laughs> a charter school at Henry Ford Museum that my brother was the first class to graduate really? from. Yes. They they selected like 100 students via lottery. And it was actually in the museum. So, like, they got to see these incredible – I don't know that people realize how big a deal Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan is. People is travel right? from all over the world to, to see the stuff in this museum. So and say- there's Greenfield Village, which is a whole other piece of the same property. It's amazing. So
0: I should, I should go at some point in my
2: life to the Henry Ford you, Museum. You absolutely should. It's incredible. Okay. Also, the best burger in America is in Dearborn, Michigan at Miller's McDonald's. <laughs> oh, gross. Get out. I didn't know what Culver's Get got. A Get Miller's.
0: out. Miller's. Okay. Yep. yep. Sounds like a remote to me. On DS. Set it up. <laughs> On Telegraph and Michigan Avenue. There it is. There you go. Well, at a place, uh, I, again, I said this yesterday, but you find this, the greatest websites. This one's called wakeupworld.com, <laughs> and uh, a PhD by the name of Steve uh, Taylor, Wrote happiness comes from giving and helping, not buying and having. And I think this becomes a really important concept to talk about as we do slowly move towards Christmas. Mm-hmm. When uh, you know it is always weird. You go through Thanksgiving where you're thankful for what you have, immediately into Christmas where you're like, "What can I get? What can I get?" And and you see this in kids a lot too, right? Christmas becomes very driven by, "What's the gift going to be this year? What are my gifts going to be? What can I get?" And this article becomes interesting because it's not only saying what we should do, like, oh, you should be generous or you should be altruistic. It says this materialism doesn't lead to well-being, but altruism does. This is actually like if you want to be a healthy person, if you want to look out for yourself, be generous, Mm -hmm. uh, be giving. So before getting into his his things, uh, his reasoning here. Uh, do you believe that premise? Yeah, and do you think most people believe that premise?
2: I think more people believe it than we typically let on. Okay. I feel like I hear a lot of pastors share information like this as if no one buys it. I think more people are already bought into this. I think, uh, and you know, you and I have both given generosity talks, so we yep, have yep. archives of of data and statistics. But I mean, I've I've read scientific journals that directly link like mental health and well-being with the ability to give stuff away. Like mm. there's a – so even if you're like not a Jesus person or you don't buy the whole motivation of Christ-likeness to be a generous person, there's just neuroscience to back it up. They're like, yeah, there's actual like physiological benefits to like being more open-handed with your stuff. And by contrast, all, the, the opposite is also true. People mm. that are obsessively stingy or – Um, have a more hoarding mentality there's also uh, unfortunate ramifications neurologically and physiologically with that kind of behavior So he goes,
0: he says, some of us, so many of us strive so hard for material success that you might think there was a clear relationship between wealth and happiness. The media and our governments encourage us to believe this since they need us to keep earning and spending to boost economic growth. Hmm. From school onwards, we're taught that long term well-being stems from achievement and economic prosperity from, quote, getting on or making it accumulating more and more wealth, achievement, and success. Consequently, it comes as a shock for many people to learn that there is no straightforward relationship between wealth and well-being. Once our basic material needs are satisfied, i.e. once we're short of regular food, adequate shelter, a basic degree of financial security, wealth only has a negligible effect on well-being. Huh. For example, uh, studies have shown that in general, lottery winners do not become significantly happier than they were before. And that even extremely rich people, such as billionaires, are not significantly happier than others. This sounds like something that you've thought about and believe. But again, let's go back to does that <laughs> surprise you or do you think that surprises most people?
2: Why does this sound like something that I've
0: believed? You've talked about it often. Have I? You've talked about it. I guess, although there could be a difference between knowing it and believing it and living it. Yeah. Um. But do you think that this is something that most people deep down go, yeah, no, I could totally see that being true or, you're, or most of us like – Give me a shot with a billion dollars. Give me a shot. I'll
2: bet you it'll make me happier. Uh, yeah, I think it was Daniel Tosh who said, you know, you'll often hear people say money can't buy happiness. He goes, but it can buy a jet ski. And have you ever seen anyone frowning on a jet ski? <laughs> sort of the same <laughs> kind of premise. Like, why don't you – and this is someone – he's a comedian that yeah, has yep. joked a good deal about how much money he's made. Uh-oh. And he came from money too. So he like – his brand of humor, again, not formally recommending because it is blue. But yes. there is certainly a, a sentiment that I think a lot of us feel like, hey, money money can't buy happiness. It's sort of the same – like we've talked about this before. When you go to a uh, some kind of conference and there's 80,000 people in the room and there's a pastor in the center stage and he's like, it's not really about the size of your yep, church. Yep, yep. Yep. I'm like, he's said to 80,000 people. like you know, Coming from his church of 5,000. Right, yep. right. So there is certainly like a little bit of a catch-22. This is why I think – This article from someone who's more interested in the neuroscience, he goes on to say, if anything, it appears that there is a relationship between non-materialism and well-being. While possessing wealth and material goods doesn't lead to happiness, giving them away actually does. Generosity is strongly associated with well-being. For example, studies of people who practice volunteering have shown that they have better uh, psychological and mental health and increased longevity. The benefits of volunteering have been found to be greater Than taking up exercise or attending religious services, in fact, even greater than giving up smoking. So I would say maybe don't give up the religious services part personally. But again, this is someone who's not coming from a Christian perspective saying, no, there's actual like that's what I find so interesting about how counterintuitive this is, because at our basest instincts, the idea of I made this money. Mm. why would i give you any of it yeah my time is precious why would i offer to give any of it up freely like Mm. that is the carnal caveman way i think of processing the information and what we're seeing more and more from people who have no real vested interest there's no ulterior motive here like no that's actually the the opposite you're doing yourself harm by hoarding Mm. by white knuckling all your stuff all your time all your possessions and to me what i find so interesting about that is that Churches and religious communities for centuries have been saying, yeah. no, it's actually a better way to live, yeah. to be more generous with whatever it is that you have.
0: Yeah. It stu- goes on to say another study found that when people were given a sum of money, they gained more well-being if they spent it on other people or gave it away rather than spending it on themselves. Hmm. That this sense of well-being is more than just feeling good about ourselves. It comes from a powerful sense of connection to others an empathetic, uh, an empathic and compassionate transcendence of separateness and of our own self-centeredness. In fact, paradoxically, another study has shown that this is one way in which money actually can bring happiness if you give away the money you earn. Think about that. It says, we all say money buys us happiness, and this author is saying, the study is saying, that is only true if you don't use that money upon yourself. And uh, that is, I think paradox is the right word there. Yeah. Because from day one, we've always been taught, uh, spend it, buy a bigger house, buy this stuff, and none of those are wrong but it is uh it is not the gateway it's saying here to happiness that instead the gateway is actually the well-being the feeling good about yourself and whatever else comes from these taking steps to give it away so if if you're talking the last minute we have people out there who aren't normally they don't normally live this way yeah in this Christmas season, give them one or two challenges or one or two steps, one or two baby steps to start, like, kind of putting this into
2: practice. Well, that's the very next paragraph talks paradoxically about the idea of spending money on experiences. And mm. I'll just point to a couple of research. It says the research by Dunn, Gilbert, and Wilson also showed that money is more likely to bring happiness uh, if you spend it on experiences rather than material goods. Another study by Joseph Chancellor and Sonja Lubomirsky yes. has suggested that consciously living a lifestyle of this is the money – Strategic underconsumption can also lead to well-being. Mm-hmm. So maybe that phrase—what would it look like to pursue strategic underconsumption this yeah, holiday season? Spending money maybe more on experiences and less on trinkets, less on which requires a community to buy into, right? So if mm-hmm. like you make the decision, like, hey, we're going to spend less. But then you have the family gathering and all of your siblings or all they're all still spending the same amount. Yeah, you, good point. you end up you can end up feeling like a like a real heel. So I think it needs to be a decision kind of made in community, which is, good. you know, again, easier said than done. That's great. So we encourage you to be challenged by
0: that. You can read this on our Facebook page, but more so, what would it look like for you to take baby steps So one step or two steps to living more generously, believing that that will be ultimately for not only the well-being of others, but the well-being of of yourself. Well, you're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Hi, Brian. Hello. How are you today? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Wonderful.
2: Outstanding. Good. How's your day been today? My day is great Great because I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know that's not true, but that makes me feel good. Thank you. It is funny. uh, I was hearing Oh, no, Dave and Sue gave a talk uh, a few months back, and we were talking about love languages in particular. Mm-hmm. Oh, we were writing it. and So Dave and I are both words of affirmation, which I know that you also are. I tend to be. And we shared, <laughs> we shared with the group that, like, we don't even need to believe the authenticity of the words, just hearing them. Just, it's good enough for it, me. It, it honestly is. And all, all the non-words of affirmation people were like, wait, seriously? And yeah, we're like, yeah, it's a sickness. It's really, <laughs> it's really not, not good. Because
0: you and I both have that kind of in us. We should just do entire segments where we just – lie to each other but make each other feel gosh good. that
2: just sounds awful yeah, we'll that's no no one's gonna listen love to what that. you're wearing today oh <laughs> gosh darn it that felt nice what is wrong with our brain man oh
0: man that's weird okay uh chick-fil-a is back in the news chick-fil-a or popeyes what's your, what's your choice what's your chicken choice i've never had popeyes i had neither have i <laughs> but now that seems to be the big one but I like to uh, uh, refer to Chick fil A with my kids as Jesus Chicken. Of course. Uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but uh, in a weird way, Chick fil A is now getting a lot of um, uh, shots over a decision they made just the other day on Monday. Uh, They're getting a lot of pushback from the Christian community. So let me read a little bit of this article, and then uh, I don't even know what the response is, but let's see if we can figure one out. Okay. Chick-fil-A said Monday it would halt contributions made to certain charities and organizations, such as the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, that have sparked a controversy amongst amongst LGBTQ groups. Instead, the Chick-fil-A Foundation will focus its charities on three areas, education, homelessness, and hunger. There's no question we know that as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are, Chick-fil-A President and Chief Operating Officer Tim Tasapula said. There are lots of articles and newscasts about Chick-fil-A, and we thought we needed to be clear about our message. This means that Chick-fil-A Foundation will no longer donate to the Salvation Army, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the Paul Anderson Youth Home in a press release, Chick-fil-A said it was, quote, introducing a more focused giving approach to provide additional clarity and impact with the causes it supports. Uh, going forward, the Chick-fil-A Foundation will support Junior Achievement, Covenant House International and local food banks that will donate $9 million to those causes in 2020. Chick-fil-A is the third largest fast food chain in the United States. Its official corporate purpose is to, quote, glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. The gay rights group GLAD said Chick-fil-A statements should be tr- greeted with, quote, ca- cautious optimism, but that more work needs to be done. On, on social media, though, many Chick-fil-A supporters expressed disappointment. Uh, Mike Huckabee. You ready for this one? Okay. In August 2012, he wrote, I coordinated a National Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day after they were being bullied by militant hate groups. Millions showed up. Today, Chick-fil-A betrayed local customers for money. I regret believing they would stay true to the convictions of their founder, Truett Cathy Sad. And and it just kind of went on. They're getting kind of roasted by the people, no pun intended, who were most... Uh, uh, most had their back, and I've got more to read on some of the pushback, but I don't know what to do with the story. It seems like right in the middle of a cultural debate, uh, that when you, I'm sure you heard about this or you saw it flying around, what was your first reaction as you heard about
2: this? <laughs> My actual first
0: response? Yes. I actually want your actual first response.
2: Why? <laughs> are we fighting about this all the time? <laughs> I actually went back and I've I've written some blogs at length over some of the Chick-fil-A uh, controversy over the years, which is interesting when you go back and read stuff that you wrote 10 years ago and the positions that you held and the stuff yeah. that you were outraged by or found interesting or whatever. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, this, to me, is another one of those, it feels almost like a distraction, again, to me. The, the outrage seems odd- to me, um, it is Chick-fil-A's prerogative to support or not support whoever they deem worthy, right? I don't quite know what Huckabees is getting at when he talks about it being all about the money. Um, like, what do you think is at the at the core of that? We can, you know, guesstimate based on yeah. his particular track record and convictions, and we're reading it, you know, at ChristianHeadlines.com. So there's certainly an angle and perspective there that's, you know, obvious and— Um, I think understandable, but why, why do you think the, what's at the heart of the outrage? Does it feel like a betrayal the way that he's saying, or I think that's the heart, right? I think people have always thought who feel very
0: passionate about uh, religious freedom and uh, standing up for what you believe. I think people have always seen Chick-fil-A as like the shining example, right? They're closed on Sunday Christian values. And now they've ascended to be the third, uh, biggest or most uh, most profitable uh, fast food chain in the country. Like, man, some of the crazy like it's not just um, Mike Huckabee. Rod Dreher said, I love Chick-fil-A, but it's going to be a while before I go there again. This is nothing but gutless surrender. Alexandra DeSantis said, that's great. Caving to the mob is a surefire way to protect the space in civil society for Christian beliefs. Matt Wall said Chick-fil-A defied the LGBTQ rage mob for years and only grew in popularity. But now they've caved like Mm. you're hearing the same message here, right? Eric Metaxas, what's so sad about Chick-fil-A's decision is it kicks aside the issue of religious liberty for all. John Stone Street said this will embolden the bullies. It will not appease them. It it sounds like there's this kind of thread of people going, you've betrayed us. We stuck with you. You were like where we were putting our hope. Mm. I don't know, man. This all just feels really weird. Maybe there is a bigger cultural issue here uh, around this. But, man, when I read this, like for me, the whole Chick-fil-A thing on both sides has always been like, I don't know. It's good chicken. And, like, if it was bad chicken, I wouldn't go to Chick-fil-A. If it was good chicken, i go to Chick-fil-A. But I think I'm pretty simplistic about that.
2: Yeah, I think that's too simplistic to, to look at this. When you're talking about millions of dollars yep. for – I mean, or that's how I view these things, I should say. Right, not but you're not, and you're not running the company. One. But I think the point of the discussion, though, is to think more deeply about the companies that we support or don't support, yep. the uh, how they use their resources, the positions they hold. I actually just found another article. So apparently the COO, Tim Tassipoulos, actually told Vice News, um, he said this, no organization will be excluded from future consideration, faith-based and non-faith-based. So apparently creating a little wiggle room for himself maybe perhaps in light of some of the pushback from some of these conservative voices so i don't know it feels like he's in hot water i'm sure their pr team is freaking out but they had to have expected this at least to some degree right i would think so do
0: you think people are writing back to them that like don't you know that your success is because you stood up for your convictions uh do you think now there will be a groundswell the other way people going I'm not going back to Chick-fil-A. Like, oh, that's yeah, it. Yeah, And they just counted that cost and said that's okay because of the goodwill we're going to get coming from the other end. Like, I, you know, I guess I don't want to think that this was only made from a financial decision, but maybe it was. Maybe it was just kind of a what's the best – what is what is the best that we could do? Or are they go, and you know what? This is the direction we have to go, and I know we might lose some people over it.
2: Okay, so I found this uh, this rant from a guy named – rod dreyer yep i read a little bit of his you did is it worth it's sort of saying shame on you chick-fil-a you had no reason to capitulate you successfully resisted the mob for years and built a booming business in spite of it but capitulate you did i love chick-fil-a but it's going to be a while before i go there again right it's nothing but gutless surrender so to your question i think that is going to happen i think you are seeing people choose that position and i i would be curious to know kind of based on you shared it you're like hey i just eat where i think the chicken's good. I know. <laughs> Does any of this change no. any uh no. This is
0: why I, I maybe i'm not the norm and maybe i'm especially not the norm of people uh who feel passionately about this like i you know, do i go to Chick-fil-A with my kids because they play K-Love? No. Like i my kids like their food. They like the milkshake. Like they like So i don't know. I all right, But let's bring it to the maybe the most, maybe
2: absurd. a different level. I bring it to the most absurd extreme. Yep. Just abs- like something that we can all agree on, right? Let's say you found out your favorite department store gives forty percent of its proceeds to ISIS. <laughs> I thought you're I like say Planned Parenthood, but go ahead. No, yeah. see, no, that's, not, that's what I'm trying not to be. I'm t- ISIS. ISIS. Okay. We can all agree. ISIS. ISIS, no bueno. So, yeah. what do you? I would not go back. You wouldn't. So, yeah. at some so point, I do but, have a level. Uh, <laughs> this is not the level the chicken fil A Okay, but what if what if it line. wasn't forty percent? What if it was still ISIS, but it was just two percent of their profits? went to isis and I, and that's where you get your favorite yeah. slacks your slacks good use of the <laughs> word like i wouldn't go so yes there is so, a level okay for me. even just two percent yeah, of no, a multi is, is... and they're let's say they give the other 90 percent to you know your church <laughs> then i would go. <laughs> Oh boy. okay well i think, I think we the, found the baseline
0: i mean does this change i mean the the 20 seconds we have left does this change at all whether you'd go to
2: chick-fil-a or not i don't go to chick-fil-a just because you don't like chicken it just doesn't it's not a thing for me i'm not it's i don't really i chicken's fine i am never like gotta get me some chicken
0: i'm curious to know if people care about this like some of the people we read they have got they've got shows on our station like i'm I'm curious if if people out there actually do care to the point that they won't go back Hmm. uh so you can tell us that at facebook or uh just let us know you can call us in or whatever we would love to hear uh more from you so Anyway, that's Chick-fil-A and and the next controversy that's out there. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us again today. And that music can only mean one thing. What does it mean, Brian? The end of the show. Interweb insanity. Crazy stories from the internet. But before we get to them, you've got some information for
2: us. I sure do. So we just had him on the show, when was that, last week? Go Promoters talking about... uh, Might have been Monday. Might have been Monday. It all blurs it together all for me. Blurs I together. haven't slept since September. So, <laughs> either way, they're, uh, they have this whole project called Go Underground. And so, uh, let me just share a bit what's going on with them. It says Jesus lived in his community, spending time with all kinds of people. Uh, our team at AM 1160 wants to challenge you to engage with your neighbors in a context where they are comfortable. But. Maybe not you. Christian Metal Band Disciple is coming to Q Bar in Glendale Heights December 6th on their Love Letter Killshot Tour. They will be sharing their faith through the concert, and you can have opportunities to talk about their journey in your hope in Jesus afterwards. AM 1160 and Go Underground is offering a special challenge for AM 1160 listeners, specifically maybe common good listeners, to invite a friend to come with you for free. Just visit 1160hope.com slash disciple to receive one free ticket for your friend. Tickets are available starting at $10 at I tickets.com come alongside your friend as they journey toward finding their way back to God taking them to see Disciple at Q Bar in Glendale Heights December 6th securing a free ticket today at 1160hope.com slash Disciple there you go and you're going to be there right I'm I'm hoping to, hoping yeah. to be there.
0: well I'll start to give you a break there let me go first wow, thanks although it's Michigan your home state
2: oh America's high five Michigan
0: man mistakes brother for deer and shoots him in a hunting accident we've all been there <laughs> one Michigan brother <laughs> accidentally shot another Sure he did. <laughs> While hunting together. Uh, I mean, he definitely shot. I'm sure it was an accident. Yeah, this sounds like a like a father of
2: sons talking. I'm sure you did, son.
0: At around 5.30pm, deputies responded to a field in Boston Township, Michigan, for a report of an accidental shooting. The brothers were looking for a deer that one of the brothers had shot earlier, but became separated during the search in the dense corn. One brother, a 29-year-old, thought he saw and heard the deer moving and fired his muzzle-loading rifle. The man, realizing he shot his brother, a 28-year-old, and not the deer, oh gosh immediately called 911 the injured brother was flown to a hospital where he is listed in serious but stable condition importantly the deer was not located you shot me
2: oh gosh okay moving on
0: you shot me right in the arm why did
2: oh Ooh, my God. Double death. when he was shot you then he yelled Oh dear! No, <laughs> no. You don't think he did? That's no. not what you would yell. What nope. would you yell, Brian? Ow! <laughs> you would yell ow. <laughs> yes. I'm calling fake on that. All right, Florida. This is where Brian's from. Neighbors it's want. Not where I'm from. <laughs> not where I'm from. <laughs> but you want to be from uh, someday. But... Na- neighbors want church to turn down volume after 200 noise complaints. People in Seminole County neighborhood said they're fed up with the noise coming from an area church. Oh, Action Church sits next to Grand Road in Winter Park, next to two busy neighborhoods. Jeremy Fratty. <laughs> 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 it's not that funny, but it's kind of no, funny it <laughs> Said a year ago he heard a thumping noise And thought it was a car with the bass turned up As it was driving down the street But was surprised to learn the noise was coming from a church Ramon Erazari told Channel 9 That although he knows the exact times The drums will start during Sunday service He can also hear the church during the week the church's lead pastor, Justin Daly, gave Channel Nine a tour inside the facility. We worship in here for sixty to seventy-five minutes every service. When the church has a full house for Sunday service, Daly said the noise level can reach around ninety decibels, which I know for a fact is perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. The Seminole County Sheriff's Office said they have they have uh, received two hundred twenty-two noise complaints at Action Church's address since December two
1: thousand eighteen. All those, I'm afraid, you're just too darn loud. <laughs>
2: pretty funny i'm sure it's a great church but you could have
0: predicted it had a name like action church <laughs> yeah that's tr- that's true utah a woman arrested after crashing truck in the power pole trying to hide in nearby tree a woman is in custody and being treated for minor injuries after police said she crashed into a power Bowl pole and then fled the scene the white pickup truck smashed into the pole, snapping it right at its base. That caused a power outage. Meanwhile, the driver immediately ran from the scene. Police began searching for it with dogs, but the women had apparently climbed up a tree and tried to hide.
2: What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search <laughs> of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Wonderful. Gosh, what a great movie. Wonderful movie. What a great movie. Uh, yeah. New York, an American Airlines plane had a mechanical issue, and Hillary Clinton was on board. Oh, random. American, <laughs> Random. and it, Or was it? <laughs> an American Airlines flight, which had former Secretary of State and Presidential Candidate Hillary Clinton aboard, board, needed to return to its gates in New York following a mechanical issue on Sunday afternoon. American Flight 2144, which was set to depart from New York's LaGuardia Airport, to head to Washington D.C.'s Re- Reagan Report Reagan, jeez, <laughs> Reagan. So I was so smaller. I, I should up never. The road. <laughs> <laughs> this is my cousin Regan <laughs> uh, Made a return to its gate around three fifteen p.m. on Sunday due to a mechanical issue. What kind of plane is? it? Oh, it's a big, pretty white yeah, plane right. with red yep. stripes, uh, sure. curtains in the window, and wheels, and it's it expected. looks like a big uh-huh. Tylenol. Predictable. I am also
0: surprised. I, maybe I shouldn't be. I'm surprised that Hillary Clinton flies uh, like commercial. Oh, I found that f- uh, interesting there.
2: Wasn't she just sort of getting lambasted for wearing this uh like $12,000 jacket a- at a talk about inequality <laughs> probably? Yeah, that's a legit thing. But okay,
0: last one's out of New York. Family seeks social media photographer who can double as mother's helper. What? A job posting online by a family in New York City looking to hire a multi-hyphenated social Wait, the multi-hyphenated <laughs> social media photographer coordinator and mother's helper is giving new meaning to the term hybrid role. The listing says the ideal candidate must have photography and photo editing school uh, skills, specifically experience shooting young children and families. They should also be internet and Instagram savvy while also being able to be a mother's helper. Wow. Who
2: are you texting 50 times a day? I decay my BFF gel.
0: <laughs> that's a weird note to end on. That is also the most New York City job ever. Yeah, well. that's a good point. The most New York City job. Well, it's been a fun day. Hope you're having a great Wednesday. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life.